Welcome to America's Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So, presidential trivia this week. Which president served the shortest term, or like the shortest presidency? Sure. It was was one of the people who served as a temporary, as a... That was a vice president. No. It wasn't? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know then. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Okay, so this guy, I'm sure if he was had been born today or maybe even happened to him while he was alive, had a lot of jokes about his name, but... Samuel Dickstein was born in Vilnius, Lithuania on February 5th, 1885. In 1887, Dickstein moved with his parents, Rabbi Israel Dickstein and Slata B. Gordon, and his four siblings to the United States. The family settled into the Lower East Side of New York City. Dickstein attended both private and public schools and then attended the City College of New York and followed that by attending and graduating from New York Law School in 1906. After passing the bar in 1908, he started his own private practice where he specialized in landlord and tenant disputes. Hmm. Dickstein claimed that he represented 30,000 tenants pro bono. Wow. This was also around the time that he joined Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall was a New York City political organization that was known for both helping the city's poor and immigrant populations and for deep-seated corruption. So, Mm. both good and bad things. Yeah. Like many political organizations. Sure. Yeah, right. (laughs) Dickstein became close with the Tammany Hall district leader, John Ahern, actually when Dickstein was in high school. And then Ahern used his power and influence to get Dickstein appointed as a special deputy attorney general of the state of New York in 1911. Hmm. Tammany Hall. So he had like three years of. Three years of law experience. Yeah. yeah and then became a deputy yeah. attorney general. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the. There's different levels. There's I mean. different levels, but still, and kind of the point is, is that Tammany Hall, if you become friends with the people in Tammany Hall and you kind of get into that organization. A ton of doors open for you. So they're You're kind of in. Yeah, kind of, a little bit. <laughs> After serving as a deputy attorney general for three years, Dickstein then used his connections at Tammany Hall to become an alderman for New York City in 1917, just kind of like a city council member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he won a seat in the New York State Assembly in 1918. In 1922, Dickstein beat out longtime incumbent Meyer London for a seat in Congress representing New York's 12th district. He was placed on the House Committee on Naturalization and Immigration because of experience as an immigrant and the work he did with immigrants as a lawyer in New York City. Hmm. When the Democrats took control of the House after the 1930 midterm elections, prominent Tammany Hall leaders insisted that Democrats named Dickstein the chairman of the committee. With this position of power, Dickstein started looking into the large number of illegal immigrants residing in the United States, along with the large amounts of anti-Semitic and anti-American literature that was beginning to be distributed across the country. When Adolf Hitler came to power in 1933, 
there were German-Americans that started to join a group called the Friends of New Germany. Right. I think we talked about that in uh, the... The uh, Nazis at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, so this is kind of... A lot of the stuff that we talked about in this episode kind of gets brought up here. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those that didn't listen to that episode or need a little refresher, um, Friends of New Germany, which was a group that was created to organize Nazi sympathizers living in America. Right. And... They hosted a big... So that was the... So then when they got... Um, they kind of got shut down because it was, there was, they had a lot of like anti-American stuff going on too. Mm -hmm. So they got shut down and then the German American Bund was created, which was basically the same exact thing under a different name. Name. And they're the ones that did the huge Madison Square Garden thing. Yeah. They had the big rally at the Madison Square Garden. Right. Where there was hundreds of thousands of protesters surrounding Madison Square Garden. Right. Yeah. In response to the Friends of New Germany, Dickstein began to hold informal and unfunded hearings on what he called Nazi propaganda activities by aliens in the U.S. During the first five sessions of the hearings, witnesses came forward to testify that the Third Reich was delivering printed propaganda, military uniforms, films, and spy orders to pro-Nazi fascists living in the United States, which is pretty much true. From what we did looked into before. Yeah, yeah. It went through a lot of channels so that the paper trail was very hard to follow back to Nazi Germany. Right. But they were definitely funding a lot of this propaganda that was appearing in America. Right. When Dickstein questioned a man who called himself only Mr. X during a public hearing, Mr. X said that Nazi Germany's goal was to establish an absolute dictatorship in the United States. During an interview with NBC Radio, Dickstein said that he had found sufficient evidence to define the Nazi government here as the most dangerous threat to our democracy that ever existed. Wow. In 1934, Dickstein was able to convince enough House members to pass his resolution of establishing the Special Committee on Un-American Activities authorized to investigate Nazi propaganda and certain other propaganda activities. Dickstein decided to name himself the vice chairman of the new committee. That he created. That he created. (laughs) Um, But that was because he was both foreign-born and a Jew, and he did not want the committee to receive any criticism because of his background. They didn't want to be like, oh, well, he's just looking into German. Anti-Semitic. Yeah, or even just like, how can this guy look at, uh, you know, aliens, he's an immigrant. So you're saying he couldn't do it as a as the chair that's why he made himself the vice chair. right so it wasn't like his name always at like the top of the report or anything yeah yeah because yeah. it technically wasn't like just he wasn't in charge of the committee yeah. even though he pretty much was it. Yeah. yeah yeah dickstein became the he was the puppeteer yes so <laughs> dickstein became the vice chair and an irish catholic representative from boston named john w mccormack was named the chairman so I, so I think that happens a lot, probably, in a lot of agencies. Probably. People will be like, eh, it's probably not best to like, have your name like, on the front, but you'll still you have know, all the power. Legi- like legislators and stuff, like they create these committees that they're not like in charge of, but they might right. be, still be on, Right. they have still a lot of influence. Exactly. It's not necessarily their name as like the chair. Right. Person. I think so, too. Yeah. 
During the summer and fall of 1934, the committee brought in several witnesses that revealed that prominent PR firms in America were accepting money from the Reich Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels himself, to improve America's perception of Nazi Germany. Several German-Americans that were known supporters of Hitler were brought in for testimony, and they did not hold back on their loyalty to the Nazi creed. I'd be like, yeah, we are loyal to Nazi Germany. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. One witness said that the Fuhrer represents the racial feelings of every German in the world, no matter where he is born or no matter where he lives. The committee also brought in retired Marine Corps Major General Smedley Butler, who testified that he had been approached by rich anti-Roosevelt financiers that had ties with veterans groups. The financiers wanted Butler to march on Washington, D.C., seize power, and form a new government, much like Mussolini had just done in Italy. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And the guy basically was like, no. Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm, I served my country? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you know that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Did Was he, was he like, fired or something from his job? What do you... Uh, he, I guess, like, uh, when he made Major General, I mean, did he leave with a salty taste? So they're like, oh, maybe we could get this guy. This I guy was like, ever fi- he got fired as a general, so maybe I, we can get him to think, sympathize with us? I don't think so. I think they were looking for a strong... Just a strong... Just a strong military, military person. Leader, yeah, leader. and he doesn't necessarily wasn't necessarily like a fdr's biggest fan and so they're like maybe we can maybe uh, we can, we can get, get, him, get him we can get him to cross him right but he was still like no like this is still my country that i yeah. swore an oath to yeah. and yeah. yeah though there were huge revelations of fascism gaining popularity in america many thought that dickstein was just holding these hearings to raise his own notoriety sure The Herald Tribune ran a letter to the editor that said, The public is sick and tired of the red herrings Vice Chairman Dickstein has dangled at the taxpayer's expense in order to keep his name on the front page. Representative Lindsey Warren said that Dickstein had an itch and flair for publicity and advertisement. Who? Well, Representative Lindsey Warren said that of Dickstein. (laughs) I was like... Wait, did, you just, did you say Elizabeth Warren? No. <laughs> it's like, She's wait, been in we're, the game for a long time. Yeah, I was like, wait, we're we're in the 30s? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. So, on top of that, Dickstein was considered to be greatly over-exaggerating, like, how bad fascism in Nazi Germany was. I don't think he was, and though. He, and that he was fame-seeking, and people thought that... Like, he was over-exaggerating when he said that Adolf Hitler was the madman of Germany and that the Germany's government, or one representative... Well, I hope those people felt silly a few years later. And there was one congressman, and I forgot what their name was or who they were from, and I didn't write it down, but he was like, we have to be careful about persecuting these Germans, and they're so-called, and it was basically quotations, persecuting the Jews. Like, we don't know if that's really happening. Oh my gosh. And then I think he went on to say he was like, like I'm from Texas and I have I grew up with friends that are Jews, so like I'm fine with it. And Dixie was like, I am a Jew, like I, yeah. <laughs> I know what's going on yeah. with my people. I was also like raised in Europe, like I was born in Europe, so yeah. like maybe trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. All the newspapers that we're getting out of Europe at this time is is not reporting. All right. of these instances. But the main reason a lot of people were saying that was because the United States was still trying to maintain a friendly relationship with Nazi Germany. Right. 
Like, we could see what was going on in Europe, and we just did not want to be pulled in if we could just, like, stay friends with Nazi Germany and not have to enter a war. Yeah, because there was, like, there was something, what was it, that really got us involved? Oh, that's right. The bombing of Pearl Harbor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> December 7th. Was, yeah. Yeah. That's what brought it. Finally, we were like, all right, we can't keep turning a blind in. eye to this. So we turned a blind eye to it for quite a while. We Yes. So the hearings... And I, I say we, I mean the politicians. Right. So the hearings and Dick Steen's comments about growing fascism in Germany and the United States went largely ignored. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, look, like these people are literally saying it in the Senate that this is happening. Yeah. And they're like, eh, everybody's like, I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and in 1937, Dick Steen was trying to convince House members to create an expanded committee to look into un-American activities. But after being met with pushback, Dickstein stated that with the expanded committee, he would be able to name 100 spies who have entered this country from a friendly government for the purpose of furthering the progress of the, this propaganda. Dickstein hmm. frequently brought up Fritz Kuhn, who was the self-titled American Fuhrer who yeah. ran the German-American Bund. Right, which was, which was the follow-on organization after the Friends New, of New Germany. Friends of New Germany, yeah. Yep. And, and, like, literally, like, he was, he knew, like, he knew, like, they yeah. knew. Yeah. Dickstein claimed that Kuhn led a large group of German spies to grow Nazi support in America. Kuhn retaliated by saying, Dickstein, not I, is one of the country's biggest enemies. I think he is a spy for Soviet Russia. Dickstein's bill for the new committee was tabled, and Representative Maury Maverick from Texas called it just a lot of noise that will bring loss of prestige to Congress. Dickstein marched onto the House floor and read out the names of 46 spies. However, it was quickly pointed out that most of these names were of people who held fascist-leaning political views but had not broken any espionage laws. Also, the fact that there were only 46 names and not the 100 that Dickstein had promised brought more ridicule to Dickstein's efforts. Oh my gosh. In 1937, Dickstein, still the chair for the Committee of Naturalization and Immigration, was contacted by an Austrian working for the USSR. (laughs) The Austrian asked Dickstein if he could help him become an American citizen. Dickstein told him that America's quota of citizenship for Austrian immigrants was currently filled, but for $3,000, Dickstein could see what he could do. Jeez. Dickstein also told the Austrian that he had been able to secure citizenship for dozens of immigrants through some backdoor dealings. In a memo summarizing the meeting, the USSR concluded that Dickstein was running an illegal smuggling ring. I used to do this for, I did this for free for 30,000 people, but now that I've really experienced. And now that I really have the power. I got all the wheels greased. Right. Now I'm going to start charging people through the butt. Yeah. And that Dickstein was uh, running this ring that was also selling passports to help immigrants get their American citizenship. So you tell him American passports. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, that's... He's not... His pants aren't cleaning this. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He's kind of a turd. I mean, he's helping people become citizens, which yeah, is good. Yeah, but then he's also, like, doing taking illegal adva- stuff, taking too. Ad- taking advantage of them. Yeah. Yeah. Upset with his efforts of unearthing fascists being unappreciated in America, Dickstein approached the Soviet ambassador to America by offering to give him information on a Russian fascist group he had discovered while running his committee. Hmm. He's like, well, if the Americans don't know, want to know about fascists, maybe the Russians will. 
Yeah. Or the Soviets at the time. Yeah. However, the Soviets would have to pay him at least $5,000 for the information. So he could have $3,000 to get his American citizenship (laughs) and a little running around cash. Yeah. Well, this is now he's talking to the Soviet ambassador to America. Oh, right. Yeah. So the Soviets. But yeah, but he still wants to become an American, I'm sure. Probably, maybe. yeah, Yeah. So the Soviets said that they wouldn't pay for information that they considered widely known. Hmm. And so, but Dickstein said that he could keep information on Russia fascists coming, but they would have to pay him $2,500 a month. Hmm. Dickstein said that all of that money would be going towards his investigations and that he demanded nothing for himself because he believed in the Soviets' ideologies. Dickstein was given a handler named Igor, because that's what everybody's Soviet handler is named, I feel like. Igor. <laughs> Igor. But Igor refused to give Dickstein any more than $500 a month for the information, especially since the typical American family earned about $1,800 a year in 1937. Wow. This is during the Great Depression. Yeah. In 1938, Hitler forcibly annexed Austria into the Third Reich, and talk of creating another committee focusing on un-American activities began. This is when Americans were like, oh, maybe this Hitler guy isn't so good after all. Yeah. I think we might have cheesed up on this one, guys. Yeah. So, Dickstein, sure that he would be named as chair or vice chair of the new committee. He's like, hey, I've already made a committee just like this before. Mm -hmm. He was able to renegotiate his monthly stipend from the USSR to $1,250 a month. The NKVD, which was the intelligence spy organization that preceded the KGB. Okay demanded that Dickstein give them fascism information that he uncovered and steer the committee away from looking into communists. They're like, we'll pay you this money, but you can't you can't interrogate any communists. Gotta let them know that you just gotta do the fascists. Yeah, yeah. Communism is different. Yeah. All right. Yeah. In a NKVD memo... We're not that... We're, we're the good guys here, all right? Right. <laughs> we're the good kind You should of- let us meddle in your country, not yeah. the fascists. Yeah. In a NKVD memo discussing their arrangement with Dickstein, it stated, We are fully aware whom we are dealing with. Crook is completely justifying his codename. So his codename, like, the the Soviets called Dickstein Crook. That was his codename. Oh my gosh. This is an unscrupulous type, greedy for money, consented to work because of money, a very cunning swindler. Therefore, it is difficult to guarantee the fulfillment of the planned program, even in the part which he proposed to us himself. They don't even, they don't really even trust, trust him. Yeah. They're like, maybe he'll give us some information. Maybe he won't. Yeah, yeah. But he's kind of our best bet because he's a congressman. Right. Unfortunately for Dickstein, he was not only not named chair or vice chair of the new committee, he wasn't even chosen as a member. Ouch. Yeah. The new committee took the word Nazi out of the name and called themselves the Special Committee to Investigate Un-American Activities and Propaganda. That's probably better. More broad. Right. The committee was more commonly known as HUAC, or the House Un-American Activities Committee. The new committee held a few hearings on the activities of American Nazi supporters, but the new committee concentrated more on communist sympathizers. In America, Uh, many hearings focusing on trying to prove that FDR's administration was trying to advance the communist agenda in America. uh, It's like, FDR, he's a commie. Everybody in his administration's a commie. Yeah. He's a commie agent. Hmm. 
Desperate. So, oh, sorry. So, so what year was that committee created? Nineteen thirty-eight. I mean, they weren't wrong. It did end up becoming a problem, not necessarily in the government, but, uh, it, you know. You know right. You know, well, and actually, wrong. there were a few in the administration that were communist agents. Sure. But not all of them like they thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Desperate to keep his monthly income from the USSR, Dickstein continued to send the NKVD information of American-based fascists. Dickstein also gave them information on a Soviet defector named Walter Kravitsky, who was found dead in a Washington, D.C. hotel of an apparent suicide. What? Which I'm sure that he did not commit suicide. Yeah. Dickstein often denounced the new committee as a red-baiting excursion and read out speeches in Congress that Moscow had literally written out for him. <laughs> Jesus. They'd be like, all right, this is the speech that you're giving to Congress today. Wow. Straight from straight from the Stalin US, and Moscow yeah. themselves. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And he would do it. According to the NKVD, Dickstein also gave them materials on the war budget for 1940, records of conferences of the budget subcommission, reports of the war minister, chief of staff, and etc. So he really was sending them a lot of so, stuff. It's like... Oh my gosh, how does he not realize? Does he realize what he's doing? I think he was just, maybe it was all greed, because he is making a lot of money sending them stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's all greed. Maybe it was feeling, you know. No way it's na- Navy D. Like, he's, he's got to be aware of like, what he's doing. No, yeah, maybe I don't he think, didn't realize. Like, I don't think he was naive. I think he knew exactly, he knew exactly what he was doing. I think it really think was about money. he had at least money. the intent of, like, for the greater good of keeping fascism out of America because the communists at least weren't persecuting, right? They weren't, were they? Uh, persecuting Jews? No, I don't believe so. They still killed a lot of people. Sure. Like, they weren't good, and this is Stalin we're talking about. Yeah. Reading more about it, I think it was about the money. Yeah. I don't think, maybe it started out for the greater good, but I don't think it... It definitely devolved from mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. Like, if the Soviets are calling you a crooked, greedy, like, no good person, like, yeah, yeah. the Soviets spy agency is calling you that, like, you're probably not a good person. Dickstein continued to ask for more money from the USSR, even telling them that he had given information to both Polish and British intelligence before, and that they had paid money without any questions which has neither been proven nor disproven. So maybe he also did sell stuff to the British and Polish. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. But that's what he told the Soviets. Wow. Like I said, I just don't think he was a good guy. Yeah. It's hard to tell what's true and what's not. Yeah. From what he from what Well, and done. like British intelligence records from that time are still sealed. So we don't know. Mm. So we can't find out yet until they unseal him, if they yeah. paid him or not. Yeah. When do they become unsealed, do you know? I don't know. Yeah. The reason we're able to know this is because this is from the USSR and not Russia. Mm. So all of these records became available. When that was. Mm -hmm. Nice. In February of 1940, the NKVD finally decided to end the relationship with Dickstein, saying he can't be a useful organizer who could gather around him a group of liberal congressmen to exercise our influence. And alone, he doesn't represent any interest. So Because he's too greedy. Yeah, they're paying him way too much money. Too greedy alone, and he's not building support for 
yeah, communist exactly. USSR. I think he was giving speeches and people were like, this sounds like some communist <laughs> propaganda. <Sounds> like, yeah. <laughs> During his time working with the NKVD, Dickstein received $12,000 from the USSR, which would be around $200,000 today. Wow. There is no evidence. I mean, that's pretty much like an annual salary for a congressman today. Yeah. So he was basically getting double his salary. Yeah, because that was two years that he did that for. But the Congress got paid a lot less back then. They just voted themselves some hefty raises. I'd have to look at it, but well, yeah. he, he got a lot of money from yeah. the Soviets for not giving them much in return. Yeah. The commie back. <laughs> there is no evidence but they don't even like him so you can't really say that yeah they don't even like him the communists don't even like him yeah, yeah. There is so maybe it was maybe it was a good thing maybe <laughs> give just enough information to keep getting paid yeah <laughs> there is no evidence that Dickstein gave away any national information to a foreign group after the Soviets cut him off in 1946 Dickstein left Congress after 23 years to become a justice of the New York State Supreme Court after World War II ended and the United States and Soviets entered the Cold War against each other, the HUAC began to conduct several hearings that were intent on finding American-based communists. If a person was suspected of harboring communist ideologies, they would be subpoenaed to appear in front of the committee, where they were forced to answer questions on their political beliefs and any communist activities they had taken part in. They would then be asked to provide names of other communists who would then be subpoenaed to appear in front of the committee as well. So then the like committee just like kept their grasp on. just kept widening and widening. Yeah. Yeah. As more people start naming. Mm hmm. If an names. individual refused to answer the committee's questions or name other individuals, they could be indicted for contempt of Congress and be sent to prison. So they could be like, I don't know any communists. They're like, mm, contempt of Congress. You're going to prison. Jeez. So then you're like, okay, and you're just naming people just so that you don't go to prison. Yeah, yeah. If the subpoenaed individual pled the fifth, they were often fired from their jobs and blacklisted by future employers. Jeez. So then you're like, I don't even want to plead the fifth. Like, yeah. I'm just going to answer and I'm just going to lie and tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah. I saw John Smith eating a turnip once. It must be a communist. <laughs> exactly. No, I think it like almost got to that level like where of ridiculousness. Like, just yeah, he was wearing yeah. red the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, he has this red tie that he wears a lot. Yeah, exactly. With like these gold dots on it. <laughs> yeah, I heard him mumbling under his breath the other day, and I'm pretty sure it was Russian. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, crazy. Just like yeah. Oh my gosh. During the 50s, Senator Joseph McCarthy used the HUAC for anti-communist campaign known as the Red Scare, mm -hmm. and to prove his declaration that he had a list of 205 known members of the Communist Party that were working in the State Department. Oh, just working in the State Department. Just working in the State Department. Wow. After McCarthy was done, more than 2,000 government employees had lost their jobs due to the anti-communist investigations. Hmm. These people, just like I said, they were just ratting each other out. And people were like, this is crazy how deep this goes in the State Department. Yeah. And they're like, hopefully I keep my job. And then nobody kept their jobs. They yeah. were just... Because like the, the only proof that they had was hearsay. basically hearsay. Yeah. Just and then good luck testifying of other people. Good luck getting a job in America after everybody knows that you're a dirty commie. Yeah. And it's been like televised. Yeah. Surprisingly, Dickstein's name, who was an actual Soviet spy, 
Never came up. His name never came up. Probably because he's a uh, state Supreme Court justice. Maybe. And you are. And his, yeah, his name was never brought up during any of the investigations or hearings. Dickstein. But also remember, they don't, they're not using real or actual proof. They're just finding some people and just start making Uh, Yeah, I think that just goes to show you how bogus these, like, it got is because the one guy that we know was literally selling state secrets. To, to the Soviets, yeah. never even got brought up. Yeah. So, so none of the people that were investigated ever—they've never found out since then that they, oh, they were actually part of. There's, but there's been a couple. Yeah. But like the very few, the percentage is widely blown up, and they really got into Hollywood. Yeah. Like if you made any kind of film, yeah. that you know had even any kind of communist. You know, ideologies. ideologies. You were sent to Washington, D.C. Dickstein was a New York Supreme Court justice until he died on April 22, 1954, at the age of 69. A plaza in the Lower East Side was named the Samuel Dickstein Plaza, and it still has that name today. Literally a traitor to our nation. The Dickstein Plaza. Yep. Dickstein remains the only known Congress... Can I say this? At least he was an ineffective traitor. That's true. I mean, that's about the only good thing. That's the only good thing that comes out of it. (laughs) Because he started the HUAC, which caused a lot of people to lose their jobs, and people to think they're communists and probably just ruin their lives. Yeah. 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 And he was ineffective in the sense that he he ended up getting fired from his job. Yeah, the Soviets fired him. As a Soviet spy. (laughs) God. And his uh, his espionage activities only came to light in the 90s when a U.S. espionage expert named Alan Weinstein and a retired Russian agent named Alexander Vasiliev joined together to read and research old KGB dossiers. Wow. Yeah. And like KBD. And KBD. Well, yeah, it was like they were yeah. going through KGB stuff and then their KGB had got some of the stuff yeah, from, from NKBD. Yeah. yeah. The K- Same people, different name. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> when the USSR disbanded, the NKVD basically just became the KGB. Right. Rebranded. Yep. You always got to rebrand when you have a major change in... Yep, and it's fun. Putin was a part of both wow. groups. Really? <laughs> yeah. He was at NKVD? Uh-huh. And then KGB. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Well, I knew, K- I knew KGB, but... Right. Yeah, everybody. The N- yeah. But yeah, no, KVD? he started in the NKVD. Really? Was yeah. what? I think typist? just an I think just an agent. Typist. I like to think of him as a typist. typist. <laughs> I think he was an actual agent. Yeah. Can't say it for sure though. My sources for the story oh, I wanted to say one more thing. Yeah. Um McCarthy's like Red Scare end finally yeah. came to an end when he tried to say that a whole bunch of people in the military were communists. And then that was televised, and people were like, do not come after our military. They yeah. are good capitalists. You get yeah. out of here. Yeah. You get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's crazy because nowadays we're seeing a little bit of that influx of these kind of uh, extremists in in the military. I mean, it's not it's not huge, but, I mean, it's they're, they're, they are still there, you know, yeah. and you have to be aware of it. Oh, I thought you're, yeah, no, that's totally true. And I think there's, I think that's always been a little bit. And sometimes, you know, you just see it more because some of these, these extremists like post online, which makes it easier to find. 
I thought you were going to say we're seeing a little bit more people just calling each other socialists and communists a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pointing fingers. Yeah. Well, you're a communist. Yeah. yeah. We do. We, we, we just, have been seeing keep, that. It just keeps coming coming back around. Yeah. Yeah. Like, know what you're talking about before you start accusing people of being communists, fascists. Yeah, exactly. Libtards. Because that's yeah. not a real thing. Right. Like, yeah. that, is a, just, that doesn't like, exist. That, yeah. That's not... <laughs> At least we don't That's have- just a derogatory term and is shows your lack of compassion for fellow human beings and actual understanding of ideologies. Yeah. So, and at least we don't have Senate hearings just dragging random American citizens in to answer for their communist or fascist ideologies. Every time Yet. somebody posts a Facebook comment says, that person's a fascist, yep. that person's a commie. Just happy that's not happening again. <laughs> right. Yet. Yet. And I say yet because I just who's to say? Who's really to say? Twenty twenty. Yep. Twenty I mean, yeah, we still have a few months left. We still have five months left. We still have uh, I'd like to say it's four. Uh we, it, August just started. <laughs> Which <laughs> can we just start over? Can we just start twenty twenty one now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not over. <laughs> no, no, just get no, through no. it. Yeah, that's not what I meant. <laughs> uh, my sources for this story were Tammany Hall, a history dot com article. Samuel Dickstein Papers by the American Jewish Archives, HUAC, a History.com article, The Congressman Who Spied for Russia by Peter Duffy, and The Spy Who Made McCarthy, an article by The Guardian. Hmm. All right, presidential trivia. Yeah. Who was the shortest term president? Shortest serving president, like as president. (laughs) It was William Henry Harrison. Who died 31 days after being inaugurated. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They think it was a combination of either pneumonia or typhoid. He had Stress. A, yeah, he had a fever, <laughs> and then he died. Um, when he died, people kind of started freaking out because at the time, William Henry Harrison was only our ninth president. And at the time, the Constitution wasn't really clear on what the vice president's role was then. They didn't know if the vice president actually became president or if he just fulfilled the duties of president until a new president was elected elected in like a special election. Hmm. But Vice President John Tyler, he was just like, hey, I'm the new president. And he just kind of was like, nope, I chose that I'm the president and I'm not just going to be acting president. (laughs) I am the president. (laughs) Now in the Constitution, it says that the vice president will become the president. But at the time, it was still very... Vig, and huh. he kind of just set the precedent for what happens. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, if you like this episode or just this podcast in general, we just ask that you tell somebody about it. Mm-hmm. We just like to spread by word of mouth, and it always means more to hear about something good yeah. and new from somebody that you like. Yeah, the podcast and- that I started listening to. I listened to a friend of mine, my wife, (laughs) (laughs) and she got me hooked on it. Also, I feel like podcasts are becoming more popular, but still, like, there's a lot of people out there that don't know what podcasts are. Yeah, so spread the good word. Spread the good word. Do you have anything to say before we, any updates? Uh, Don't have any this week. Okay. Well, we hope that you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.